Yo, what's good everyone? It's Anushan and you're listening to Brown Men Won't Jump. Howdy how y'all. Welcome to another episode of Brown Men Won't Jump. For all our fans around the world, we thank you for joining us. And we want to give a special shout out to our friends in India and our friends in Canada for their continued support. Today, we're going to talk about the Blake Griffin acquisition for the Nets, and also really briefly talk about what we thought about the All-Star game. Joining me today, we have AC. What's up, guys? Eric. Yes, sir. And a special guest, our resident Nets fan, Paulo. What's going on, everybody? But before we get into that, news came out today about Myers Leonard. Apparently, while playing Call of Duty, while streaming Call of Duty, Myers Leonard made a anti-Semitic slur while on air, and the NBA has launched a probe looking into it. And while he just apologized for it, I want to say within the past hour of recording this, he just released a statement apologizing, claiming that he didn't know what the word meant. Personally, I saw the video. It did not seem like he didn't know what he was saying. It seemed very deliberate because he was literally getting quite triggered with the other players. Have you guys heard about this? Yeah. When you say literally, literally gotten triggered, he was he got sniped by somebody in Call of Duty, and it seemed to make him a bit mad. But the reason that is, he doesn't really have plausible deniability on this is it seemed like he was about to say something, thought about it, and then said this. So this might have been his not his go to slur of choice, but a secondary option for him. So I don't really know if it's credible oh, he, that he didn't know about it. He had something yeah, else. That, he had something else in mind. Yeah, that, for the, sure. On, on Twitter, they were making fun of him in, a, in like a mock apology. Hey, I'm sorry about using this derogatory term for Jews. What I really meant to say was the N word. <laughs> oh, my God. His apology is so bad, too. Like, it starts with, I had no idea what this word meant. Like, you yeah. did. Look, come on. You Absolutely. did. You wouldn't go there if you didn't. I, I just find that he has so much nerve to be, you know, streaming games and, and dropping slurs when he's literally paid $10 million to sit at home and do nothing. I mean, he's paid basically to play Call of Duty, right? So he is fulfilling his contract. He's a, he's a glorified and, trade and- asset. And compounded on that, he has uh, some type of e like sports deal with one of those like esports teams as well. So, I mean, he's kind of like double dipping while sitting home, which is crazy. Wow. Right? Yeah, he's signed to be a streamer for I think Phase Clan. So you know that one's up in the air now, as too. it should be. Absolutely, he got he got dropped by one of his esports sponsors already. So, oh, as he should be. Yeah, I mean. Kyle, Kyle Larson in another sport went through this about eight months ago. So, Oh, that's right. Right. Yeah, that's exact right. same thing. Deshaun Jackson, I think, also went through it like for, in football or earlier this year, a couple of years ago. See, I, I believe that the NBA really does need to come down hard on this because, look, you have so much messaging about inclusion and Black Lives Matter and all sorts of you know ra- uh, racial and social justice. But that also extends to the Jewish community. And just in general, if any of your players or employees or whatever are spitting around a bunch of hate speech, especially in today's climate where it's become mainstream almost, I think it's really important that all of us really 
denounce this, and especially organizations like the NBA really come down hard on that. Because th- none of this should, ha- should have any place in, in our society today. Certainly not in 2021. Oh, Adam Silver is definitely going to punish him. <laughs> there, there's no, there's no doubt about that. I, I don't see how Adam Silver could give him anything less than, well, when he comes back playing, 20 games at the very least. No, there's, there's no way to think of that heavy. 20 games. 20 man? games. 20. 20 wait, wait, wait. Hold on, hold on, hold on. So think about the climate we're in. Just to add on to Oswee's uh, statement. Your whole thing for a year has been about Black Lives Matter. Right after you had the kerfuffle with the whole PRC China thing in and and uh, Hong Kong, right. they're going and they have fans who were using that as saying the NBA were somehow hypocritical on these type of issues. They're definitely going to use Myers Leonard as a sacrificial lamb. I have no doubt about that. Yeah, but Adam Silver has been pretty soft when it comes to metting out punishment. I mean, yes, let's not forget he did get rid of Sterling way back when in like his first month of being commissioner or so. But that being said, with players, I, I feel like he's too enamored with the idea of being the beloved commissioner rather than being one who just puts his foot down. I mean, we've seen it, how he's handled breaking COVID protocol. So you really think he's going to give a guy 20 games suspension like that? Well, I mean, so if Myers Leonard had said the N-word with the hard ER, how many games does he get? Oh, yeah, that that for sure. I... Fair point. He's getting 20 for that. So I, I would expect saying the word that he said, which has a disgusting historical history, that the punishment is going to be somewhere around there. That's fair. Yeah, and, and we don't want to even give any credence to the word of language used to even discuss that particular phrase any further. But suffice it to say, it at least has you know, neo-Nazi connotations going back decades. So it's not something Absolutely. you can just say and then pretend that you don't know what it means. It, it's, it's just it's unacceptable. <laughs> I, 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 Absolutely I do, knows what it means. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, but, Though I do agree with Oswee that I, I would even be surprised if even for something as serious as saying the N-word that he would, that Silver would actually, you know, met out a punishment as serious as 20 games just because he has no real track record for coming down hard. If it was David Stern, you better believe that would be, that'd be like a three-month suspension for something like this. But I, I've yet Absolutely. to see Adam Silver take a, a real anti-player stance, even when when he should. For instance, when there were... COVID uh, violations by, you know, James Harden, who we'll talk about later in the context of the Nets, but it was almost as if nothing happened at all. In fact, he even said it was in the Christmas spirit not to punish him. So this is the guy we're talking about. Not exactly, you know, the the tough principle. Fair enough. I, I, I understand what you all are saying. Just as far as branding, where as far as American team sports, they put themselves front and center as the Social Justice Movement League looks a little hypocritical. Just a little if you don't come down hard against them. No, I, I definitely agree with that, Eric. That's actually a really good point because, you know, the China situation is very complicated and it deserves its own podcast altogether. Uh, but, you know, fairly or unfairly, and I think rather unfairly, the NBA got pretty slammed for the way it handled that and continued its business with the, with the People's Republic of China, specifically, the, you know, 
the, the, some of the stuff that's going on with the Uyghur Muslims and, and especially Hong Kong situation, while at the same time, you know, being very much an advocate for change here. And there's a lot of reasons for that. And it's, it's worthy of its own thing. But if they don't take a strong stance in this situation, I could see it backfiring. So I, I my hope is that Adam Silver will do the right thing and suspend Myers Leonard. I mean, it's a, it's a freaking layup to do it, too, because the guy barely plays. It's not like you're taking <laughs> off an important player off a roster. Uh, he basically exists for the sole purposes of being a trade asset. All righty. Well, with that, why don't we talk a little bit about the All-Star game this weekend? I don't know about you guys, but I thought it was a little underwhelming and it seemed almost, it kind of seemed a little rushed to me. It, it it didn't have any of, I mean, obviously it doesn't have any of the glamour of All-Star Weekend typically, but I just felt like the slam dunk contest just was utterly terrible. And then the game itself with all this COVID protocol and injuries to Team Durant was basically a big brother bullying a little brother the entire game what, what do you guys think my biggest Going. takeaway from that game was that i i really think if it was ever a question before as to the, we're, we're in a different nba that game almost crystallized it when people are launching half court three-pointers and we're expecting them to go in right it was steph it was you know damian lillard and they were just seeing like competing for how much further back they could hit threes from damian lillard wins the game ultimately with a, you know, a half-court three-point shot. And it, we're kind of all like, yeah, good shot there. You know, like, can you imagine if someone tried that, you know, a few, even a few years ago? And once again, the most interesting event out of the non-game events, actually, I would say even including the actual game itself, was the three-point shootout. And, and, you know, that was the probably the best moment of the whole weekend. And Steph Curry in that competition just absolutely dominating, scoring 31 points in round one. And then round two, after Mike Conley had a nice showing, he had hit that last three, and Steph kind of hits it with, you know, very casually and just turns around almost like he was Larry Bird. So it is really a three-point league, and and nothing epitomized that more than the three-point contest. For me, what was most interesting wasn't anything that had to do with the actual festivities on Sunday. I mean, the game was incredibly boring. Like you all said, Team Durant was missing Durant and some other players. Uh, What really stood out to me was for the third or fourth straight year, LeBron seems to pick better teams than the guys that he's picking against, which as a LeBron stan tells me if he ever became a GM, he probably wouldn't be too bad. Amen. All right, we're going to put a, what do you call it, just a disclaimer there that he's picking between all-stars. <laughs> so, uh, there's there's no bad pick when he's Giannis all those years. I mean, I, hey, didn't last year Giannis got memed on and his, they had like one of the best games? Uh, I recall Joel Embiid was the best player on both of Giannis's teams. Otherwise, Giannis's drafting was garbage the past two years. So so trash. Jet Monis or whatever is the way. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, my thoughts on the All Star game is this shouldn't have been played though. Agreed. Like, it's just it, I I I could I didn't really watch it last weekend uh, on that principle. And I mean Durant wasn't playing. And, you know, honestly, I mean your best two players just got knocked out of knocked into COVID Dude, protocol. Paulo, I had my Embiid jersey folded nicely in my backpack to wear during the game 
And then that day I find out this shit and I, I just couldn't bring myself to wear the jersey during the game because my guy wasn't there. Exactly. But even more problematic is I'm pretty sure Embiid and Simmons are out like for the rest of this week because of COVID protocol. Yeah, both are missing Thursday and then Simmons is missing Friday. But luckily it's Bulls and Wizards, so we'll be all right, hopefully. Yeah, but like you've just lost your two best players because of essentially a glorified exhibition yep. game that probably shouldn't have been played. Uh, I don't know. I think last year we had a really good All-Star weekend. And um, I, I know the NBA, I think, depends on this for their sponsorship deals and, you know, whatever. But it just felt forced the whole weekend. So I wasn't particularly a fan. Yeah, Paolo is 100% right. And I'm sorry, Eric. I know you're the ultimate LeBron fanboy. But LeBron does not get any credit for his GM skills in an All-Star game <laughs> in which... He picks first every single year, and it's not a snake draft. So he gets the first player, the first best player, the, ne- the third best player, the fifth best player. They're all on his team. So no, he doesn't get any credit at all. Hey, hey no, no one told Kevin Durant to choose one of his teammates as his first yeah. pick. <laughs> well, or, or Giannis to pick every European imaginable for no reason. <laughs> Exactly. They're coming out for the homies, bro. You know, they all about the game. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> LeBron does pick a good team objectively. Like, you know. well, he does have many years of experience as the shadow GM of his of his basketball oh, come team. On. So. Allegedly, allegedly, allegedly. <laughs> Somehow, allegedly, all his friends end up winding up on the team. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> You know, I love how LeBron gets all the credit when you know things go well, and when he, when they fail, it's always some other dude's fault. So. Absolutely, get him enough help. <laughs> that is yeah. the American way, guys. <laughs> True. So, Paolo, you know, we brought you on today to discuss the Nets and also this this you know blockbuster in extreme quotes acquisition <laughs> of former All Star in extreme quotes. <laughs> Blake Griffin. <laughs> Before we get to that, uh, tell us a little bit about how you became a Nets fan and sort of your connection with this team. Uh, okay, sure. Um, so I came to the States uh, when I was two years old. So my working memory of basketball begins in the like early 2000s. And you'll remember the early 2000s, the New Jersey Nets went to back-to-back finals led by you know Jason Kidd, uh, RJ, Richard Jefferson, uh, from Kerry Kittles, Kenyon Martin, um, just some Keith Van Horn, I think, yep. might have been yep. on that team. Yeah, Keith Van Horn, yeah, Todd McCullough. <laughs> Maybe the least talented team to go to back-to-back finals in NBA back history. Back-to-back <laughs> finals. And they, they had a nice run in the early 2000s. And, you know, I'm from New Jersey. I've lived in New Jersey most of my life. I obviously gravitate towards the team from New Jersey. Um, and they moved to Brooklyn, and honestly, I was so against it because I was, you know, I, I was like, you know how much harder it is to get the Barclays Center than it is to go to like yeah. Prudential or you know the Izod Center. Um, the Izod Center. <laughs> oh god! <laughs> but you know, <laughs> you find a team, you got to stick with them. So there were some lean years, you know. I remember like that twelve-win team that didn't get me John Wall. I remember having those lottery teams that we didn't get the lottery pick for <laughs> I do tra- trading an unprotected first. I ended up being <laughs> Damian Lillard. You name it. I, I, I was there. I felt <laughs> pain, you know? Uh, so 
when you know superstar extraordinaire dunker Blake Griffin decides he wants to join the, the Brooklyn Nets, I say bring him on. Let's ring chase together, brother. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, in our in our uh, Knicks episode, myself and a couple of fellow Knicks fans, you know, we trashed on on the Nets for some time. We talked about how it'll never be the Nets city; it's always going to be a Knicks town. And I still believe that. That being said, I'm not going to lie. Number one, I'm scared of your team. Number two, the Nets do actually have you know, contrary to our assertion that there's only four Nets fans in the world, there actually are a lot of Nets fans that I know from the Jersey area, and even maybe a few who have now suddenly joined the bandwagon in New York. So there, there is a legitimate fan base there. And, and they're a fan base that has gone through some difficult years. So I want to ask you specifically about one such thing, which is that that horribly short-sighted trade to get the corpses of Kevin Garnett and Paul Pierce in exchange for your entire future of first-round picks. And then, you know, so what was it like watching that sort of unfold and then seeing the Celtics take your picks year after year. And then, you know, obviously the Cavs even got Colin Sexton out of it. So if I remember, serves Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Colin Sexton all came from those Nets picks. And, uh, you know, Prokhorov, you know, completely bailed on your team. What was that like being a Nets fan in that era? I remember this because I was in high school. I think I was a sophomore maybe when it happened. Or, no, no, it was a little later, but... I remember we got Darren Williams, and I was talking to my buddy who's a Nets fan, and he couldn't believe it, right? Because this was Darren Williams at the time, you could have argued, was the better point guard than Chris Paul, right? So we were very excited about that. Well, well wait, 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 let me cut you off there. <laughs> Some people believe that, but <laughs> nobody really who it watched could, them play believed that. <laughs> it could have been argued, I'm just saying. Arguably, fine. could have been <laughs> argued. Arguably. It's not as laughable as it is now. It could have been argued. Um... And I, we were very excited about that. I was very excited about having Brooke Lopez on the team and, you know, building with those two. Um, and then he does that. Billy King does the trade. And I remember, I, I admit this right now, I'm a big Paul Pierce hater. Don't know why. I just don't like the guy. And Me he, too. Tra- <laughs> he, he trades all that. And my boy, Marshawn Brooks, Chris Humphreys, and I, I forget, I think Gerald Wallace was also part of that trade uh, for the ghost of Paul Pierce, the corpse of Kevin Garnett, and whatever remains of Jason Terry. And I thought, this team is not good enough to beat the Miami Heat. <laughs> right? That's what the whole point of the trade was, right? To be good enough to beat the Miami Heat and hopefully win a title. And I remember thinking, this isn't good enough. Like we had, I remember the Sports Illustrated cover, the We Got Next <laughs> Nets page with the starting five and Jason Kidd in center. And I was like, this team isn't good enough. <laughs> <laughs> and I got a lot of flack for it with some of my friends from school because they were like, no, 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 you got all these all-stars. I was like, we've got all-stars who aren't all-stars anymore. So regarding the trade, I I think, um, you know, selling out to win a championship, trading your first-round picks and your young players for guys that can win you a championship, I, I support the idea behind that. My biggest regret or indefensible position for this trade was he picked the wrong people to target. Kevin Garnett, Paul Pierce, and Jason Terry were not making the leap to beat Miami. <laughs> I, I remember I actively disliked that team, I think. And they, they finished like that first season together on like a ridiculous like 30 to like 10 run or something to end the season. And a lot of people were chirping that they might be able to do it because I think they were 4-0 in the regular season against Miami. 
but I just never saw it. So, yeah. And then it, it doesn't help that Tatum, Sexton, and Brown are great players. So, Hey, Paolo. AC, Oswee, and I went to see LeBron drop a 49-burger on that Nets yep. team. Yep. If he could make a damn free throw, we would have seen a 50 Yeah, he, game he missed the, the damn free throw for that. God damn. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All because Paul, you know, LeBron stopper, Paul Pierce couldn't handle him, right? Like, actually, <laughs> I was like, where is the vision? Le- Paul Pierce hasn't been able to handle LeBron in years. <laughs> what are we doing? <sighs> it it would have helped, you know, in hindsight, if one of those picks just missed. Like, why couldn't one of those picks just be like, I don't know, like Dragon Bender, you know? <laughs> right, right. It had to be potential all NBA players. Well, well technically, Tatum. actually, technically, <laughs> that pick was Markel Fultz, who got traded, uh, no. and that pick became Jason Tatum. So the Brooklyn pick was actually traded to us, and we got, uh, what's his face, Markel Fultz. Yeah, Fultz, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess that there's, there's one that missed. I don't, I don't see it that way, but I, I appreciate your support here. <laughs> so let's talk a little bit then about Blake Griffin. So he's agreed to sign with the Brooklyn Nets as a free agent on a veteran minimum contract. So it's not like you guys are you know, spending too much to get him. Well, that's partly because he's being paid by the Pistons not to play for them. <laughs> says a little bit about Blake Griffin. <laughs> yeah. so, so this season, he's averaging you know, 12 points, 5 rebounds, and 3.9 assists. I think his passing is you know, still really good for a forward. But he's only shooting 36.5% from the field and 31.5% from three. And as usual, his defense is questionable and he offers no rim protection to speak of. And kind of alarmingly, he hasn't even dunked in over a year, which is you know kind of sad given where he was. Now, that being said, just two seasons ago, this is a man who put up 24.5 points per game with 7.5 rebounds and 5.5 assists on way more efficient shooting from the field, including 36% from threes. So my question for you guys is, which version of Blake do you think we're getting? And what is sort of your reaction on hearing this news that Blake Griffin is signing with the Nets? Useless signing. <laughs> All Use- right, Eric, you want to elaborate? <laughs> useless, that's, that's pretty strong. Useless signing, unless Blake Griffin is about to pull a proverbial Kevin Spacey and usual suspects <laughs> and somehow re- revert back to his all NBA form. His progression has been going down. So we mentioned this year that he's, he's shooting from the floor uh, 36%, but last year he's, he shot 35%. So, so basically you're saying he's actually not Kaiser Soze after all. I, I, not at all. So there's a theme developing. Like, it's one thing where you have a disgruntled player, and for a couple of months, they play terribly. He's been playing terribly for a year and a half. And and uh, the fact that he <laughs> hasn't dumped since 2019 is indicative of him lacking explosion at this point. And his game was predicated on explosion. Yeah, Um. actually... I- you know, meme aside that it's Blake Griffin and we have all these all-stars on the team now, uh, I actually kind of agree. Um, I, I'm i questioning the signing uh, mostly because uh, Blake Griffin, he, if you got, like, the best version that Blake Griffin could be, 
you're you're again adding to a strength instead of trying to mitigate a weakness, which is our defense. Um, Blake Griffin right now, you know, he can't be counted on to give you big defensive presence, right? Right now, Jeff Green probably is better for his ability to switch onto smaller defenders. Um, you know, Blake Griffin is coming off, I think, two knee surgeries in the last couple of years. Like Eric said, and you guys have said, he hasn't dunked since 2019. His shooting has regressed uh, from the outside in the past couple seasons. You know, he doesn't have the explosion. Um, his passing, I think, will be an asset. But, you know, in terms of what Blake can actually bring to the team right now, I am questioning it. But, you know, we'll see. We'll see. The Nets have somehow developed a way to tap into players' untapped potential, kind of. Uh, you've seen it with Bruce Brown. You've seen it with the Wallow Cabarro, Levert, uh, D'Lo, uh, Jeff Green this year. Uh, they have a way of making you almost relevant again. So I'm, I'm interested, but I do question what the logic behind it was. I take your point well when you mentioned Timothy Luau Cabrero because TLC was basically a scrub for us. Uh, I should say former Sixer TLC was basically a scrub for us. So, yes. Oh, he's, he's, he's there too now. Don't worry, but <laughs> I mean, you know, sure. Like maybe they can get the best out of him. But when, when I saw this Blake Griffin signing, I was more confused than anything and maybe even a little bit happy because I, I just don't see how the addition of Blake Griffin solves any of their problems because their number one problem is interior defense and Blake doesn't provide that at all. He's not going to help you stop Giannis. He's not going to help you stop a Jokic or an Embiid or a, an a, AD. So what does this do for them? Now, offensively, you know, as AC said, he's shooting terribly. So if anything, I think the, the, the benefit for a Sixers fan, at least, is that his presence might create some confusion in the locker room. It might, it might create some drama where, oh, Blake's not getting minutes or whatever, you know, because, you know, him and DJ are boys and, and you know, all of these guys have been together in the league for so many years. So if it creates drama in the locker room, you know, that is maybe why I think, okay, this is good for the rest of us. But I just, I really don't see how this helps the the Nets. I mean, they already have plenty of scoring. So I, I don't know. I'm, I'm just kind of confused by all of this. Honestly, this reeks to me of a signing where everyone knows that Blake Griffin is really tied with Kyrie Irving. I could totally see Kyrie going to management and saying, hey, you know, this guy is really good. He's, he wants to come here and make it happen. I don't feel like Kyrie Irving is spending his evenings watching film of how many missed rotations Blake Griffin's making or how many terrible contested jumpers he's trying. So you know, I, don't, I don't know if he's doing all that kind of scouting. And I think anyone who would would be a little bit scary about a move like this. Now, on the positive note, he is a guy who can play make a little bit. He is a guy who had to take double teams on and make tough shots where now he's going to be wide open. But again, I think he's going to eat into the minutes of players who, frankly, they could use more. For instance, Jeff Green or you know Bruce Brown, who Paolo mentions, who I, I do want to talk about at some point because he's been an amazing player for them this year. And, and every money taken from those kind of guys is going to hurt them. And I think he's the kind of guy who has a relationship with a current player in Kyrie Irving and a stature around the league being a former All-Star 
that benching him won't be easy. So I think overall, it's it's a pretty risky addition, even though it's basically for a veteran's minimum. So it's not going to cost him much financially. Right. I, I agree with the points you make. I will say one thing, though. Um, I am ecstatic, ecstatic to be in the position where big name veteran buyout candidates actively choose the Brooklyn Nets because they feel like they're a championship contender. <laughs> let, let me let me just reiterate that we once held a presser for the signings of Travis Outlaw, Johan Petro, Anthony Morrow, and Jordan Farmar. How <laughs> did like this was the rebuild? Like this was the way. So when Blake Griffin says I'm gonna ring chase with the Nets, I'm all in. Like come aboard. Uh, I I, I want to raise a um, concern that AC brought up that I think is very valid. Uh, Blake's potentially stealing minutes from guys we've gotten a lot of production and just great minutes from, um, namely Bruce Brown, who's basically 6'4", playing center in a quasi-Draymond Green role. Uh, Nicholas Claxon, who if you've seen the last two games the Nets have played, has been amazing. Also, big minutes from Jeff Green, who's been great this year. And DeAndre Jordan, who <laughs> isn't DeAndre Jordan anymore, but has played decently well with James Harden. So I'm wondering, does Blake getting minutes take away from the flow that these guys have been in? Yeah, you know, pal, that's a good segue. I mean, we could talk a little about the supporting cast of the Nets. So, I, you know, coming into the, this season, and certainly after the trade of James Harden, the perception around the league, and even, I, I think, amongst us on this podcast was that their supporting cast was weak. But actually now, they have a pretty decent rotation. So Joe Harris is somebody you didn't even mention yet. And Joe Harris, at this point, is one of the best spot-up shooters in the world. And he's on a team that is going to be basically always open on, which is absolutely devastating for the other team. And he's proven that he's not like a sieve on defense either. He's at least going to compete on that end. And he's got size. So there's far worse pure shooters out there who can't play any defense. I think he has a little bit more in his game than that. You mentioned Bruce Brown. Bruce Brown has basically become the darling of basketball Twitter because this dude is 6'4", and he's basically <laughs> their center. And I, I, I mean, you got to watch the Nets to really see all the little things that this guy does. And, and he, doesn't, he definitely benefits from being on a team with three guys who take so much attention away. But he also capitalizes on... The, the fact that, you know, all these other guys have the attention on them. He, to make a an anime comparison to an extremely overrated basketball <laughs> anime, he's like the basketball <laughs> anime character Kuroko, who nobody seems to notice, and yet he's like flying in and doing random things all the time. So that's basically Bruce Brown. <laughs> yeah, um, so I remember this. A lot of Nets fans on Twitter were like, oh, I can't believe you just sacrificed the depth for James Harden. Let's revisit the trade uh, of players. Now, I know the draft capital was large, but Levert, who you got an upgrade for in Harden, Torian Prince, who was a fringe, maybe eighth or ninth guy in the rotation, Rodi Kurut, who doesn't play, and obviously the big one being Jared Allen, who is obviously the biggest loss that we've suffered from that trade. Essentially, would I trade Levert and Allen for James Harden? I'd do that 10 times out of 10, and I love those guys. So... I, I think our bench has been really underrated by most basketball pundits from like the whole year. Um, and, you know, you have to watch these guys kind of play in the bubble and play last year when Kyrie and uh, Durant basically weren't playing to see what we could, we had in those guys. Um, so 
Yeah, I, I feel comfortable with the bench right now, and I do really wonder what Blake can bring to them that we didn't already have. Well, and Paolo, you know, just to add to that, you know, you mentioned Nick Claxton, who has proven to be a, a pretty competent center again on a team that has guys who take so much attention away, but. If I'm the Nets, I'd rather see what I have with Nick Claxton than give minutes to a potentially washed up, you know, Blake Griffin. And then you mentioned Jeff Green, who, as this small ball five, has almost reinvented himself. Now, I personally do not believe in Jeff Green in playoff series. I think he's one of those guys who can beat you just as well as as easily as he can help you. He might have one game where he looks like an all-star, and then the next three games he can't, you know, even the rim on, on jump shots, but he does give them a flexibility to play five out on offense where he can still guard the centers, at least nominally, at least against teams that don't have like the dominant Embiid AD types. And, and it allows them to have maximum spacing for their three creators. So he is really valuable and he's going to have his minutes eaten into. And, and just one more guy that I want to mention that you, you also talked about is TLC, who I never thought could be this caliber of a three and D player. Now, the D part of the 3 and D is pretty questionable. <laughs> Extremely <with him>. questionable. <laughs> I mean, the guy it comes like, and goes, you know. He's a little too thin, and, and his effort kind of waxes and wanes with how his shot's going. But his shot has been falling this season. And from a guy that I remember really having no faith on when he was a sixer to a guy now who, every time he's open, I think he's going in, it's kind of scary. So now you have a legitimate 9 to 10-man rotation, even without Blake Griffin, and you have the opportunity to add other players, which brings me to this question then, uh, Paolo, and the rest of you guys as well. Do you think that Blake will be part of their closing five? And if not, what role will he actually play on the Nets? Uh, that's a great question. Uh, I think I saw a report earlier that he's supposed to be the first big off the bench. Uh, at least that's what I think they're rolling with uh, to begin um, the first couple games with the team. Uh, I don't envision him as a part of the closing five. Uh, depending on kind of how the game flow, you've probably got Harden, Kyrie, Durant, Harris, and then, you know, take your pick of center. And right now I'm leaning to Claxton being that guy. Um, being Not Bruce here. Brown? <laughs> as much as I love Bruce Brown, I don't know if I want him battling Embiid for a rebound in the <laughs> Eastern Conference Finals. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see. Um, don't worry. No one will notice him until he gets the rebound. <laughs> yeah, the way at the end of the day, you'll be like, he has 18 and 8 and what now? <laughs> but um, Yeah. <laughs> I, I just want to make a point about TLC. My man has some J.R. Smith irrational confidence. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know what it is. Like you've seen the Lakers game. He hits like five threes. And then the next game he he's bricking shots and turning the ball over. (laughs) It's fun to watch, but um, I don't think he'll be a playoff rotation player, but we'll see. Um, Regarding Blake, I think he can give you 20 minutes off the bench. Um, Especially maybe if you pair them with Harden because they're great passers, they can probably create for the other three around them. So maybe you line up with like Harden, Shamit, Blake, Bruce, and uh, Harris could be interesting to watch as a secondary unit. But yeah, I, I don't see Blake getting more than maybe a handful, like 20 minutes or so a game. As of right now, because I don't see or I haven't really watched enough of Nick Claxton to give you a definite answer on him being their closing big my 
inclination is that they'll try to run a small ball and go with Jeff Green. Now, obviously, what you know, whether or not that actually works out is yet to be seen. Jeff Green does not have the best track record, as AC mentioned. As far as the other guys are concerned, TLC, I really like the J.R. Smith comparison you you made. He he's he's a really nice guy in person. I, I've met former Sixer TLC. He's a really nice guy, but definitely on the court, he he acts like uh, acts like he's more talented than he really is. <laughs> he has the eternal green light in his head yeah. only. As far as the other guys are concerned, former Sixer Shamit, I feel like his lack of defense makes him unplayable in, in the closing thing. DeAndre Jordan, just as a side note, I think we should just refer to DeAndre Jordan as DeAndre because the Jordan part kind of, you know, that comes, when you think of Jordan, you think of his airiness. Well, DeAndre Jordan is a, is a corpse now. There's no air with DeAndre <laughs> Jordan. So let's refer to him as DeAndre. So, you can't have his last name. Come on, man. <laughs> so, so, I mean, we can, we can, we can go for alliteration and call him Destinate Dre. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well, for simplicity's sake, I'll just stick to DeAndre. As far as DeAndre is concerned, he's not going to be able to guard or stop any of the bigs that he would be assigned to stop. And I just feel like he won't give enough on the defensive end. He won't give enough on the offensive end. So why put him there? If Nick Claxton, Nick Claxton is my hope for you guys. I hope in the sense, you know, what I think you guys should do if you really want to get there. He would make more sense because you need an actual big. But again, I just feel like Jeff Green is who they're ultimately going to go with. I, I agree with that assessment. Uh, Claxton, I think, turned 21 like earlier yeah, this year. Yeah, he's young, man. He's young. Year. Unless Twitter tells yeah. Nash otherwise, I, I think, I think, uh, <laughs> I think Claxton won't get enough minutes. Uh, we we are clamoring for the Claxton and Brown show on Twitter. Don't you worry. Um, <laughs> for those of you who don't know, like, there's an ongoing joke that Steve Nash gets his playoff or his rotations and his lineup changes off of Twitter recommendations. Uh, <laughs> it happened with Bruce Brown and happened with Claxton and we're, we're, we're rolling with it. So, so basically you guys are collectively bullying this poor guy into doing whatever you want. Yes. But you know, for that's the good very of the New team. York. I have to say, <laughs> <laughs> Eric, what do you think? Well, wait a minute. Let me just say that's very New York. Maybe for the Nets, for the Knicks, they don't listen to whatever we say anyway. So <laughs> they've never listened to us. <laughs> as long as James Dolan there, you'll never be acknowledged. <laughs> well, well, the number one thing is fire Dolan, so he's not going to do that. <laughs> right, that's right. <laughs> but you were asking me, what do I think about it, yeah. Oswe? I I don't see how you don't go with Jeff Green, other than you deciding you're going all in. <laughs> On an offensive philosophy of I'm just going to in the closing minutes outscore everyone and defense be damned. So he hey, at man. least can switch. That's been working all year so far. Thus far, until until in the playoffs, lineups and rotations are shortened, and you're facing the best players more. Right, but I, I will just say this: our best three over any other team's best three, and I'll throw Harris, our best four, out of, over any other team's best four. Hmm. That might be true, but your, but your best four at the moment, or best three, since Harden has come to the team, defensively, you all have gone from 
the 12th ranked uh, team in defensive rating to the 26th uh, defensive uh, rated team and a historically bad defensive rated team. So I, I don't know how sustainable that is for playoff success. Definitely considering in the last 20 years, the lowest rated defensive team to win was the 2001 Lakers, and they were 22 for the year. But that year, Kobe missed 14 games. Derek Fisher missed 20 games. The alternate guard, Ron Harper, missed 35 games. All three of those guys were good to great perimeter defenders. There's not an all-defensive player or even in mention of all-defense on that team in sight. Yeah, and to add to that, Eric, if you look at the last 20 years, aside from one year where the Warriors kind of mailed it in when they had Kevin Durant and they finished 13th, basically you need a top 11 defense to have any chance of winning a championship. And as you said, if you actually look at the sample since James Harden came into the team, they've been such a bad defense that it's almost hard to imagine them winning based upon that history. That being said, I think I agree with Paolo here. I think those these three guys, as much as I hate to say it, are so gifted offensively. Their offense, since Harden has come, has been the best offense in the history of the NBA. And that's a remarkable statistic when you consider that Kevin Durant has missed a good portion of time and, and, and even Kyrie Irving has been in and out of the lineup. When those three guys are together, they're basically unguardable. And it's difficult for me to imagine teams matching up with them and, and actually slowing them down enough to have a chance to win against them. Because the kind of teams that can slow them down don't usually have the kind of offense to match this kind of ex- explosion they're capable of. They can rain threes on you. They can hit you in the ISO game. You can't switch on them, right? I mean, they really can do everything. And I'm not even sure what scheme you could run against them. So I think at this point, their offense is so good it can actually overcome their defense. Yeah, so defense uh, being, I think, 26th rated defense for the year is a concern. It's always going to be a concern. Uh, like you said, Eric, there's no all-NBA-capable defender on the roster. Um, I think Roberson's 10 days up. So, uh, yeah, no all-NBA defensive player on the roster. Um, that being said, a lot has been said, like how will the Nets stop LeBron James? How will they stop Anthony Davis? How will they stop Embiid and Simmons? How will they stop Giannis? You have to also ask, how is any team going to stop Durant? How is any team going to stop James Harden? Oh, and then when you figure out how to stop those two, Kyrie Irving is going to be running free and dropping 30 on you with ease. And then if you figure out a way to stop all three of them, you'll have snipers all around the court. You know, there is a lot of talk about can the Nets stop anyone? But no one ever says, can you stop the Nets? And so far, no one has. Sample sizes. That's about like a two-month sample size. I mean, that, that that's a fair point. So guys, when James Harden joined Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, I think all of us had to at least admit that that was a, a terrifying three players playing together. But based on what you've seen so far, in what ways have they sort of even exceeded what we thought when we originally saw this potential of this trio? I think they gelled together offensively as far as like having synergy, not to use trite words, but they've gelled in a way (laughs) that I didn't think they would so quickly because my logic was, of course, there's one ball. So who's going to take the role of being the facilitator more? It seemed like organically it was figured out within three or four games. So that was really surprising. 
Um, I'll piggyback it because he used one of my favorite phrases, the one ball logic. The one ball thing has never become an issue, in my opinion, on any of these loaded teams. The one ball thing didn't stop Boston from winning it. It didn't stop the Warriors from winning it. It didn't stop the Cavs from beating the Warriors one year from winning it. Uh, it didn't stop Miami. So as far as them clicking on offense, I saw it coming. Kevin Durant can play with anyone. The distinction between Kyrie Irving as the shooting guard, and I'm using air quotes, and James Harden as the point guard was something that if you watched their games, you always knew Kyrie Irving was a shooting guard playing the one, and James Harden was a point guard playing the two. Uh, James Harden's averaged, I think, more assists in his career than Kyrie Irving. He's led the league in assists a couple times. Uh, He's been a playmaker for others, and one thing that I'm very – very pleasantly surprised to see that the bench unit plays so much better with James Harden. The other guys play so much better with James Harden. Joe Harris is hitting shots that like he's just way too open. Um, DeAndre Jordan catching lobs like not like it's you know 2012, but he, he's being in presence as a role rim runner. Obviously, we talked about Bruce Brown excelling on offense. Landry Shamit's found a shot. Uh, Tyler Johnson has found his shot uh people just play better with Harden and that will only be I think that will only improve with Kevin Durant coming back and with more time to gel with the whole team but Paolo I don't want to downplay what the Nets have done because actually the one ball rule has been a problem for teams that are stacked at least early in their development That was a problem the first year between Dwayne Wade and LeBron James. It wasn't until the next year in the playoffs against the Indiana Pacers where Dwayne decided unilaterally to take a backseat to to LeBron where they started clicking at full capacity. And if you look back in the the 90s with a team like, think of the Rockets, even though they were an older team, much like the Celtics in 2008, the Rockets team with Scottie Pippen, Charles Barkley, and Hakeem Olajuwon, they didn't mesh together very well because it was hard figuring out who would do what offensively. So I think what the Nets have done has been, honestly, fairly unique how quickly they coalesce. To that end, to that end Eric, I think a lot of it comes, and I'm, I'm shocked that I'm saying this, a lot of this comes with the maturity of Kyrie Irving because <laughs> I know it, it's funny, but because if you think about it, Kyrie Irving is the one who said James is our point guard and taking that backseat. Now, granted, it's just a point guard position. Let's see if, you know, the, the fame and the glory in the playoffs is something he's okay taking a backseat to. That's yet to be seen. But so far, what we've seen is that Kyrie accepts his role as a two, and he looks to Harden as his point guard. And that's something that will reverberate throughout the, the locker room. So if there's anything that can be, I guess, given the credit for this gelling, it would have to be, again, I'm shocked to say this, Kyrie's maturity. <laughs> I actually agree with both of you guys. 
Because Eric is absolutely right. There are plenty of teams in history where the, they had talent on paper, but it just didn't come together. You can go back historically to some of the Lakers teams in the 60s uh, and even pre the year they won where the first couple times when, you know, Wilt was trying to win in L.A. It didn't even work out. Uh, and then, you know, you, you talk about the 90s Rockets, the 2004 Lakers come to mind. There are plenty of teams where they have talent on paper, but role alignment isn't quite there and different people want to be the stars i think there's a couple of things here that have helped them uh, one thing is they haven't all three been on the court that much right so it kind of helps that each of them have had the opportunity to, to to take sort of an outsized role i think it'll be a different test in the playoffs when all everything's on the line and who gets what shot matters a little bit more the second thing i would say is with respect to their actual individual games even though all three guys are isolation players they also have an incredible ability to shoot. So they naturally space for each other in a way that Dwayne Wade and LeBron James didn't, right? So when whether Dwayne Wade or LeBron had the ball, the other one had to sort of be off the ball, kind of cutting or something because neither of them had natural gravity. All three of these guys, you can't leave them open. They're snipers from the outside. And the fact they're such good individual isolation players makes switching against them impossible. These are three guys who you could argue are three of the greatest one-on-one players ever in the league history. You cannot lead them in single coverage against people of their own size, much less a switch. So I'm really questioning how anyone's going to stop them. But I also think also made a really good point, though, about Kyrie's maturity here. Because, yes, while Paolo's right that, naturally speaking, he probably is more of a shooting guard and James Harden probably is more of a point guard, it still takes something, you know, you have, to, you have to respect when someone takes a back seat and lets somebody else take over which he's clearly done here. And I, it almost puts Kyrie in his most ideal role, the kind of role he had on the on the Cavs in, in the championship team, where he kind of floats in and out of games and he can kind of just take over a quarter here or there and, 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 and instead of having to be a consistent force the way that Harden can be. Yeah, no one's laughing at Kyrie's sabbatical now, <laughs> is they? <laughs> it, it was funny, but I'm a lot quieter about it. <laughs> right. <laughs> I, I do think, though, like the real test for this team is going to be in the playoffs when pressure is there. And right now it's all nice. And, you know, they're one of the few teams that's really trying in a regular season where a lot of other teams are worn out from deep playoff runs pre last year. And other teams are kind of just pacing themselves. They're, you know, they're going full throttle here. Steve Nash is treating every game like it's a playoff game. He's playing guys crazy minutes. Oh, He's man. basically making playoff type adjustments. So whereas other coaches... Like Frank Vogel, he's not even making game-to-game adjustments. He's kind of just trying his own thing in various points to try to experiment a little bit. Steve Nash, much like Mike D'Antoni used to do, he's actually trying to win these games with coaching maneuvers, which which shows that, you know, they're taking the regular season very seriously. But, you know, props to them. They are winning right now. We can, based on what we can judge them so far, they're doing a great job. Real quick, I do want to make one last point about this. Part of the playoff pressure will also come the the media coverage. Because look, right now, New York media is enamored by the overachieving Knicks. But when the Knicks either are not in the playoffs or get knocked out of the first round, all New York media attention will be on the, the, the Brooklyn Nets. So let's see what happens when that added pressure also comes crashing down on them. Because remember, we have... Well, one of the thinnest skinned players of all time and another very, very eccentric player.
player in, in Kyrie Irving. So we'll see what happens. I, the thinnest see. kid, I'm, I'm assuming you're saying Kevin Durant. That's the thing. Yes, guy. sorry. <laughs> don't, make, don't make him tweet at you, bro. Uh, hey, yeah. hey, that's free knows? advertising for us. So by all means, Kevin, Kevin Durant. <laughs> well, not really. Not really, because he's not going to be tweeting with his actual account. He's going to be in some burners. True story. Devin Curran. Yeah. It's okay because all of our fans in India and Canada are going to find out what burner account Kevin Durant's using. They'll figure it out. So we're, we're fine. Just as an aside, have you seen his actual Twitter? It's dude, dude's hilarious. Hey, did, you see, did you see his cash doll argument yeah. the other day? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, dude, don't you have like a job? We had to go to or something like what are you doing he's, he's always struck me as a guy who has way too much time on his hands which makes no sense because he is an extremely busy guy so i don't know i don't know when way he's doing these things much. way too much one of us one <laughs> of us true story so you mentioned steve nash briefly paolo about how basically he's reacting to twitter what have you seen from him from his coaching so far and what do you think going forward uh, well, like you said, he, he is playing these guys big minutes, playoff minutes. Uh, he isn't really experimenting with some of the bench pieces. Uh, I will say between um, today, which uh, early March, and earlier in the beginning of the season, he has improved, I think, dramatically, honestly. Uh, he just came off a Coach of the Month award uh, where we swept the Western Conference trip, and I think we've won 10 out of our last 11 or something like that. Um Early on in the season, he would hold on to timeouts. And I remember this vividly because we would end the game and he would still have two timeouts. So he'd be afraid to kind of call a timeout to stop the bleeding or to get a rotation or a superstar sub back in, uh, which he's improved on a lot recently. He also has done a good job staggering uh, the minutes of the star players where they'll each kind of have a run with one or the other or or have a run as the guy for, you know, just just enough time to, to give them some rhythm. He's made good adjustments with having Brown be a quasi-center instead of trying to play him as a guard. He's shown that he'll play a hot hand. Um, what comes to mind is Nick Claxton the last couple games. Um, so I, I think Steve, for a guy learning on the fly, has done a great job. Uh AC, you mentioned it. The, the Nets are playing to win these regular season games. And typically for a championship caliber team, I would say that's not a good recipe in the regular season. But given that the Nets are all new and need to come together still, uh, I'm okay with him, you know, trying to get as much or trying to win every game, make all the stops to win every game. Uh, I don't think we have the championship cachet as a team to be able to take regular season games off. You know, Paolo, I, I've been pretty encouraged with what I've seen from him so far. You're absolutely right that early on he had these moments where he was making basic coaching errors. I mean, basic things like substitutions, timeouts, things like, things like that. But I think overall, given how lim how much of a limited time he's had, especially with some of the all the additions that have been made into this roster, he's done a couple of things really well. Number one. I love that he's using modern spacing as much as possible. So you don't see him out there with archaic lineups, lots of big men. He's not afraid to put Jeff Green at the five to start or to close games, to, to give his uh, his players as much space as possible. He's not af afraid to put it on lineups with as many shooters as possible. And 
I, I love that he is giving each of these guys legitimate opportunities to run with certain groups. So James Harden has been absolutely spectacular with any of the big men who can can run and catch lops. So he's been working really well with DeAndre, uh, for instance, because he has that in his bag. So he's doing a good job of giving each guy a little bit of time. I'm a little bit worried about the minutes thing, though I guess because guys like Kevin Durant have missed so many games, the actual total minutes they played is relatively low. And I do think that ultimately the test again will be for him the playoffs, and we'll see what kind of adjustments he can make when the opposing opposing coach is also making similar chess moves to what he's been doing. What will he do to respond to that? Yeah, that's a great point. Um, I want to see him if he can match wits with a Vogel or a Spolstra or a Doc Rivers. Uh, that'll be a very interesting test that we won't obviously see till the playoffs start. My my only concern though about Steve Nash is if he's playing guys so hard right now will that mean come playoff time that they'll either be injured or really tired or susceptible to injury i feel like that's something i I don't feel very comfortable as as a fan to watch so i don't know that's something that concerns me about steve nash but otherwise i think he's been great in the middle of the season we had a pod where we're predicting things for the for the rest of the year and our co-host nissel predicted that steve nash was would both be the most likely candidate to get fired and the most likely person to get coach of the year because <laughs> that's how sort of variable the outcomes were for a Steve Nash season. And I think so far, he's far more likely to get the latter than the former, that's for sure. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. Though, I mean, <laughs> you said it earlier, like a coach like Vogel, he's playing with rotations at the moment. It, is there no worry that we're actually seeing all of Nash's and D'Antoni's sets right now in the regular season. So we know how to prep for them if you're an opposing team. I I think that'd be perfectly fair, Eric, except for one thing, which is that I don't know if there's any way to stop these guys. Like, I don't know whether, no matter what they're doing on offense, how do you actually stop what they're doing? If you can't switch, I I really don't know. I mean, what are you going to do? Like, you could try to trap them. You don't stop them though, AC. Of course, you can't stop any of the three. The, The fact is you try to make them work. If you can make them work, they can't stop you. That's all you have hmm. to do. So if you make them have games where they labor to score, even if they score, let's say on their bad games, they score 110 points. They're giving up 115. Easy. Right. And no, to a, a good, good offense, they're giving up 120 or more. And, and it remains to be seen if without having a single all-NBA caliber defender, if they can execute the kind of schemes defensively to actually slow down elite opposing offenses. Because you're right, like if there's going to be a layup line on, on that end, it's almost like they have to also play perfect offense, which obviously they're capable of doing. You know, So that's a good point, Eric. I, I do agree. And it gives me hope as a, as a Nets hater who, who wants the, the city to embrace the Knicks as a champion before the Nets. <laughs> it gives me some hope. You know, it's, it's funny though. The point that Eric made is basically, let's say this is their whole playbook. That's just the ultimate flex. This is what we're going to do to you guys. Try to stop us. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well, that brings us then to my next question for you guys, which is based on what you've seen so far, I know us, you're not going to like this question. Are the Nets now the favorites in the East? What do you mean now? I think they've been since they got the trade. Ooh, 
Yeah, they have such a preponderance of talent. I, like, if you're doing betting books, you have to make them the favorite in the East at the yeah. very least. I'm pretty sure they're the odds favorite to win it all, uh, which I won't go that far out of respect to LeBron James and the Lakers being the defending champs. But with respect to Oswey and his Sixers, I, I don't think there's a chance anyone beats them before they get to the finals. I don't think they lose a game to the Eastern Conference Finals when they see when they see the Sixers. Wow, that's that's yeah, that's a yeah. that's a hot take for sure. Okay, that is whoa. That was a game. He, I don't know, man. he spit. He's spitting. Yo, he, yo, he, he, he said they're gonna go full, 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 full Moses <laughs> Malone out here. Oh, full, full. yeah, exactly. Uh, what like? Let me pull up the standings really quick. If the playoffs started today, rather. We have the Hornets at seven sweep. Then you'd have <laughs> uh, Gordon, gonna... Gordon Hayward, Muggsy Bugs is rolling over his grave. Alonzo Morning, no saves. Then you have Milwaukee, and I don't think they can keep up. So I'm saying sweep. Wait, wait, wait. let me stop you there for a second. <laughs> oh, I, I do whoa! Have, I have a, a question for all you guys, and 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 I'll give you my answer first because this because he said it, they'll sweep Milwaukee. What do you guys actually think is the the team that could give them the best fight, even if you think that they're the favorites? And I think the answer to that is Milwaukee, that. not Philly. I second that. Oh, okay. Oh, really? Interesting. So I think it's Milwaukee. Now, I know that Philly has the best record in the conference, but unless they make a move for another genuine perimeter creator, like, you know, there's rumors about Kyle Lowry wanting to head back home to Philly. If something like that happens with them still retaining, you know, Simmons and Embiid and Harris, then, then yes, they have a puncher's chance. But right now, I just don't think offensively in a playoff series, no matter how great Embiid is, when they triple team him, they're going to ask someone else to beat him. I don't know if anyone else can. Whereas the Bucs, I think fans around the league are sleeping on the Bucs a little bit. I think we've all seen their failures the last few years. And look at their, you look at their record this season, and it doesn't seem as like, like they're as dominant as they were. But that's because they had one big addition, and they traded with the depth to get that addition. That's Drew Holiday, and he's been injured and in and out of the lineup. So, of course, they're going to suffer. But beyond that, I think they're actually experimenting in interesting ways. Like, they're actually switching a lot more. They're using Giannis more as a ball screener at the end of games and letting Middleton sort of be their closer, which is what I think they should have been doing for years now. And some of that experimentation is costing them games here and there where they're blowing switches and they're doing, you know, basic mistakes. And Giannis said, you know, we're using this season as uh, sort of a testing grounds for various things. Well, they still have the second best point differential in the NBA after only the Jazz. And I think they're a team that because they have Drew Holiday now, they have that third guy they need in the closing five. They do need something more, maybe because I, I don't really trust the likes of uh, particularly Pat Connington as, as the fifth guy, uh, you know, assuming Chen is the fourth guy. But I think that's a team that I'm not saying they could beat the Nets. I'd certainly pick the Nets to beat them. But I would be uh, shocked if they got swept by the Nets. They don't have someone... That can build a wall. That's how that's how you beat Giannis, right? You you build a wall and you try to keep him out of the paint. I don't think they can do that right now. So even though I obviously I trust them to out execute the the Bucks because they have three stars, the Nets are still, I don't think, capable of sweeping a team like that. I don't know. Maybe I'm no, crazy. I, I'm with you. I'm uh, with you there I, because if you just just on paper, if you think defensively, you you have former Sixer Drew Holiday. You have Middleton, you have Giannis. So they can not stop the big three, but they can slow them down. And they do have a lot of shooting. Now, 
everyone who listens to this podcast knows that I have a lot of qualms about the Bucks as a whole, but as a coach, and of course, the Greek freak turning into yogurt when it comes to playoff time. Well, <laughs> the biggest issue... Not yogurt, though. Greek yogurt, man. Greek yogurt. <laughs> but, that's so but, good. But, like, that's so it really good. is. That's so good. That, that being said, okay, like AC said, he, he's not going to be running into a wall with, with the Nets, which has led to him completely collapsing in the postseason. And I'd like to believe, and maybe I'm being naive, maybe we're all being naive when we say that these experimentations that Bud's doing will actually make a difference because Bud has never proved that he's willing to make any real changes at all. I would love to see Giannis actually guard somebody other than some random off guy. Right, I want him to be on the ball on Kevin Durant or something like that. He's a defensive player of the year, right? But I do have one concern. Former Sixer Drew Holiday has a history of getting injured a lot. He's suffered with injuries this season. My concern is, will he be good to go in the playoffs should they meet? And if the answer is yes, he'll be okay, odds are the Nets will still beat them. But I don't think they're going to get swept. And I wouldn't be surprised if somehow the Bucks eke out a victory, or rather eke out a series victory against the Nets, only to get their ass handed to them by us in the following round. All right, that I'm going to walk it that back. Was, that, was, that was a little self-serving. Yes, yes sir. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> I thought Boston had three. <laughs> so I was like, we're sweeping Boston. Then I looked at the standing. So I'm going to walk that one back a little bit. But I am not afraid. I, I, I agree with Oswee, your, um, your assessment of Middleton, Holiday, and Giannis being on paper, one-on-one matchups for our big three. Um, and that does concern me. But I still think if they're going to lose, it's going to be the Sixers in the Eastern Conference Finals because um, – I think Embiid is the MVP and Ben Simmons is the defensive player of the year. And unlike what you said with Giannis, Doc will say, Ben, go shut down whoever's hot on the nets and, you know, we'll figure it out from there. I think they also have nice defensive pieces that, you know, there are no slouches on defense on the other guys on the team. So Paul, let me stop you there. Let me stop you there. All right. As the pods resident Sixers fan, I cannot in good conscience agree with your point here. And let me tell you why. Defensively is not the issue for us. We are a good defensive team. We have elite defenders. And should we pick up somebody like a Kyle Lowry, then yes, by all means. If what you're saying is under the assumption that we get some type of Kyle Lowry guy, then yes, I can see your logic a little bit more. But as we're currently constructed, I don't think so. But that's we're just talking about defense right now. Offensively, how can we keep up with you guys? Embiid's on fire, but it's assuming that that somehow all the other guys are going to be able to put up numbers. Our shooting off the bench is not reliable at all. Our best shooter is Seth Curry, and we live and die by him. If he's out for whatever reason, we are screwed. Tobias Harris has really... He's almost in the 40, 50, 90 category uh, this year. He's just down by 5% in, in free throws, but he's actually playing that well. 
But is he playing so well that he could match the scoring of a James Harden or a Kyrie? Remember, you guys have three guys who are this electric. We, at best, will have two, and our third guy is a, a shooter. Ben is not going to get you that kind of points unless he, he plays like he did against the Utah Jazz. So I, I don't... I, 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 I respect or rather admire your respect for our team. But the problem is, I just don't see how, as we're currently constructed, we can keep up with you guys offensively. Well, you know your team better than, you know, I assume the rest of us do. So I will take your word for it. Uh, just on your point of how you're going to keep up, this is why, and it's easy to say this as we've won, you know, like nine of the last 10 games. I don't see how anyone keeps up with us. So at the moment, today, as of the day of recording, I don't see us losing this year's title. Wow. <laughs> and I know this, oh, is a very, this is a very Homer take. And <laughs> with respect to LeBron James, who I think ends money. up. <laughs> what, what do you say? Scared money don't make money. Now, you're, I, 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 I put the money down at the beginning of the season that we win. Off oh, like oh. oh, yeah. <laughs> so that, I, that's pretty, that's pretty, uh, pretty hardened. Pretty hardened. I was like, no, this is it. Dude, Durant comes back with a vengeance, and they look so good those first two games. <laughs> I was feeling <laughs> giddy. <laughs> Scared money don't make no money. You right, you right. <laughs> so then, do you guys actually think that the Nets should be the title favorites for the NBA championship, even over whoever comes out of the West? I mean, I, I look at that in two parts. If I'm again in charge of sports books, the Nets are the favorite. But I mean, yeah, Lakers and Six. <laughs> Care to elaborate? Or are you just gonna just say Lakers and Six? <laughs> so again, my logic is that when rotations are shortened, the Lakers couldn't stop the Nets and like actually stop them from scoring. But they can make those guys labor. There is no one that can make LeBron James, and most importantly, if healthy, Anthony Davis labor. Anthony Davis is going to eat them alive worse than he ate uh, Jokic alive in last year's playoff. I'm with you there, man. As far as I'm concerned, if LeBron James is on the other team, I'm probably going to put my money on LeBron's team just because I'm a LeBron stan also. But really because he's a guy who's literally taken his team to the finals more seasons than not. And in every finals I've seen him, with respect to, of course, 2011, he's just been on fire. So, yeah, and then you add Anthony Davis. I'm My logic is based on LeBron solely. But then you throw in Anthony Davis there. I don't know, man. Look, you guys are talented as hell, Paulo, but LeBron's a bad man. And, and honestly, <laughs> I think I think Vogel, as far as adjusting schemes on the fly, from what I've seen of him, he seems to be a little better than, well, Steve Nash is young, but better than Mike D'Antoni, honestly. Uh, he, he's, a, he's a defensive genius. Genuinely, Frank Vogel is a defensive genius. If you look at the way that the Lakers play defense from series to series or even within a series, you know, in last year's playoff run, it gives me hope that 
that they that Vogel would be able to come up with the kind of scheme that might actually be able to slow these guys down. I don't know what that scheme is. Frankly, it's it's impossible to imagine that there is such a scheme. But if there is one, he we, you have a guy in Vogel who who could probably come up with it, and you have the personnel to execute it. I think the the thing the Lakers have that the Nets don't have is they have great defensive players up and down the roster. So it's it's not just AD who's in my opinion, the single best defensive player in the world when he's healthy because of his ability to both switch out, out onto anybody but also to protect the rim, which no other player can really say. And also LeBron is having an all-defensive caliber season this year. He's really been engaged on that end. But it's also Schroeder, one of the best on-ball defenders in the league. Uh, just just an absolute pest. Caruso is, is one of the best off-ball defenders in the league. KCP, one of the best lock-and-trail guys in the league. Kuzma, who statistically... It's like the 90-something percentile in isolation defense out of nowhere. And on and on and on. The roster is just full of guys like this. And, and again, much talk like the that, Nets. Talk, it, that, talk that stuff, AC. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I agree. The real challenge to the Nets, though, will be on the other end. When, when I watch that game with the Lakers, if, if, if they are going to end up facing the Lakers, when the Lakers face them in the regular season, LeBron did whatever he wanted to do. Now, they lost that game very badly. AD didn't play. Kevin Durant didn't play. But I thought that the fact that LeBron could get anything he wanted was very noticeable. And this is not a team with anybody who can bother him. This is not like when he faced those Warriors teams who were elite on one end, but they also had Iguodala, Clay Thompson, you know, Kevin Durant, who didn't have an Achilles injury, Draymond standing behind all of them, Bogut, all these very, you know, various iterations of the Warriors had various incredible defensive players on them. This is not a team that's built like that. So I think he'll get whatever he wants. And AD is a flat-out matchup nightmare. Now, if it's a non-Lakers team, I think it, it depends who who comes out out of the West. So the Clippers, on the one hand, have guys to throw at all these people. They have Beverly, they have George, they have uh, Leonard, three of the elite defensive players that exist in our game. But they're a team that I think doesn't put enough pressure on the rim to take advantage of the lack of interior rim protection that the Nets have. So I think the Nets would probably beat them, and I think they'd probably everybody else like the Jazz and the Suns or whoever else could come out of the West too. So I think if it's the Lakers, I, I would still pick the Lakers, but if it's anybody else, the Nets will probably win. Um, Yeah, so regarding the Western Conference, if the Nets are so fortunate to be in the NBA Finals, um, yeah, I agree with your overall take. It's either the Lakers or the Clippers. Um, With respect to Denver, who I don't think is ready, the Suns, who I don't think are ready, Portland, I don't think can keep up with the other elite teams and Utah. Um, yeah, they got picked last in the all-star draft for a reason. Uh, <laughs> I think with the Lakers, you mentioned AC, the game against um, the Nets played against the Lakers. Uh, so I saw this. Um, one of the reports was that Nash wanted LeBron to basically get whatever look he wanted without AD there, there was really no other threat for the Lakers that could hurt the Nets. And they were saying, okay, LeBron can beat us, but no one else can. I'm looking at the points per game, and the Lakers are actually one of the lower scoring teams in the league, believe it or not. Uh, as of this recording, they're at, they score 111 points a game, which is in the bottom half of the league. The Nets score 121. So offensively, if you can, hypothetically, Dennis Schroeder can bother Kyrie Irving if KCP can bother James Harden. <laughs> you know, LeBron and AD can bother KD. 
you somehow still stick to Joe Harris. That's a perfect scenario that you can limit probably the most explosive offense in the league right now. Um, And I don't think you're going to get a game where two of the big three are off. I think you'll be lucky if you get a game where one of them is off to the point that it's detrimental. So I do say the Lakers are the best bet against the Nets to win a title this year. I still say Nets in seven. As you should. It's your it's your squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, Eric telling me Net, Lakers in six, and the Lakers barely beat the Heat last year in six <laughs> with, like, Bam missing games and Dragic out. You're telling me the Nets can't get seven? Wait, wait, wait. Lakers and six. Paulo, Paulo. <laughs> I, I, do, I do want to draw some attention to perhaps why the Lakers' offense is what it is currently. Let's not forget that injuries to Anthony Davis and Dennis Schroeder has really hurt the team. So, you're, so you're right. You're let's, right. Yes. Let's like take, you know, take a step back and, and, and yes, it is a little concerning. Sure. But we had to put the whole thing into context and we have to remember that the playoffs are still a little ways away. So once guys get back from injuries and things like that, and once more chemistry gels, obviously the Nets will have some more chemistry going for them too. I I think that the Lakers, by all metrics, are very underrated because of injuries to their roster early on. That's a fair point. I will counter that the Nets are doing all this on offense and Katie hasn't played in yeah, a month. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's a great point. That's a great <laughs> point. Well, only the... One of the all-time great scorers <laughs> in the history of, of the league. Yeah, but but the in, the inverse of that is the Lakers are the number one defensive rated team without the best defender in the world. That is for true. For a significant That's true. time. That's, That's true. true. I, is... I do want to talk about what Paolo said about the Lakers offense. You use the points per game metric, which is a little bit you know, deceiving because the Lakers play the 23rd uh fastest pace in other words they play, play very slowly they play a slow game but yeah. even if you look at defensive uh, offensive rating your point is well taken because they're the 17th ranked offense by offensive rating and again the, the brooklyn nets are the number one rated offense and i actually do think this is an area of concern now last year the lakers became one of the only teams in the last 20 years to win without a top 10 offense they were the number 11th ranked offense although Technically, they were basically a top five offense all season long until those eight bubble games where they decided not to play at all. <laughs> they were absolutely <laughs> terrible in the bubble games, which tanked their rating. But I do think the Lakers have some issues with half-court offense. Now, in my opinion, most of those issues are simply they're not hitting three-pointers, wide-open three-pointers. Now, is that because their guys aren't capable or is it because they have tired legs from playing you know, a long season? And if it's the latter, will that even get better with you know, four, you know, half the season left to go with the condensed schedule and then the playoffs, because I think that is a fair point. Because it, it's it's debatable the Lakers can keep up offensively with a team that you need to score 115 points a night against, and, and I would be concerned about that if I was LA. Yeah, I'm definitely concerned. Uh I mean, it was concerning last year as well. I do think going into the playoffs and having a team that you're going to face at least four times, it works for a veteran team with a lot of guys who have played in like a myriad of championships. 
where they can scheme against them a little better. And you're also getting a little bit of, you know who you're playing. You're getting a, a consistent schedule. There's no overlap of games necessarily. So I, I'm not as worried necessarily. I think when they get healthy, the offense will look a lot different because earlier in the season when they were healthy, the offense was clicking on all cylinders. That's a good point, Eric. Now, Paula, I do have one last question for you before we let you get out of here, which is we are, you know, a few weeks away from trade deadline and, and, you know, of course, then the buyout deadline. And I think everyone around the NBA expects the Nets to make at least one more addition. And also, if you could quickly run us through what the, what assets they have. All right. Well, you guys have more assets than I thought, but it's still kind of limited. You have a mid-level exception, which would allow you to sign a player for a prorated portion of $5.7 million. You have a disabled player exception because of Dinwiddie's partially torn ACL. So that's half of his salary, which is another $5.7 million. But perhaps the biggest piece is Dinwiddie himself. His $11.4 million salary with full bird rights. And I'm sure any team interested in signing him in the offseason would definitely want to bite. Yeah, so basically the Nets are over the cap. And if you're over the cap, you can only do a few things to sign players. You have to sign into an exception. And they are lucky enough to actually have multiple exceptions. The mid-level, the disabled player. And then they also actually have a salary they can trade as well with Spencer Dinwiddie. So given all that, Paolo... If you could make one move or or maybe several moves, what would you actually do here to give your team the best chance of winning a championship this season? Okay. Um, so our biggest kind of need would be a wing defender, right? Someone you can just stick on to, a LeBron James, uh, Paul George type of player. Uh, Any names in particular that come not, to not mind? That, like... Not that I can think of. Uh, I know... Very popular trade target amongst Nets fans is Aaron Gordon. And I know the Magic have shown interest in Spencer Dinwiddie. Uh, that could be a trade, a potential trade target. There's also clamoring that Spencer Dinwiddie would come back by the playoff time. Uh, he's been rehabbing his partially torn ACL and um, showing that he, he's walking and you know doing light weight workouts. Uh, so he could be a potential acquisition in quotes. The buyout market's looking like maybe Andre Drummond could potentially uh, be bought out and he'd be a very obvious addition to help shore up the front court. Uh, there's also talk of JaVale McGee, who could be an asset to this team as a defensive-minded uh, big. Uh, you know, there are guys, but I, I can't really see any big trade uh, involving the Dinwiddie contract. There are moves to be made, and I'm clearly, I'm not Sean Marks. Uh, we have a saying, <laughs> we have a saying going around in Marks we trust. Um, so, what he sees that we can do, uh, I will believe in. But right now, uh, I think they're going to try and run ten day contracts to some uh, free agents that are available. Uh, see what sticks. It looks like they they're really high on Iman Shumpert being <laughs> a part of the team. Oh, uh, <laughs> he must have something on the front office or something because they really like him. Yeah, he's here. Kyrie's boy, man. He's Kyrie's boy. This is like <laughs> that, well that's it. Cleveland days. I'm telling <laughs> that's... you, if you're Kyrie's boy, you have a, a free pass on this team. 
DeAndre, Iman Shumpert, Blake <laughs> Griffin. It. That's it, you know? I mean, uh, clearly he learned that from LeBron. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's true. true. That's true. Yeah, look out for your boys, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. uh, at the end of the day, though, we are we are looking for potential role players, um, you know, buyout candidates, guys that are going to – that teams are willing to trade. Uh, I don't see any big, big name, big – acquisition from now to the end of the playoffs i could be wrong maybe blake griffin ends up being that being you know some halfway version of himself but uh at the end of the day we're, we're looking at you know kind of role players and the team is going to come and go with the big three if they perform how they're supposed to perform th- this team will end up hosting a larry o'brien but if not you know it's not going to be because Shumpert missed the corner three. It's not going to be because Claxton couldn't handle Embiid. It's going to be because these guys didn't deliver. That's fair. I think there are a couple things going in your favor. So, number one, a lot of the other teams that you're competing with are basically capped out. They're, they're hard capped. Teams that use a bit little exception, like, for instance, the Lakers, not only do they not have an exception to add a player, they actually have to cut some salary to even get even a, a very low minimum kind of player because they're right up against the hard cap because they already used their exception. You guys don't have that problem. The other thing going for you is you actually have minutes that someone could use. So one person that comes to mind for me that I'm I'm scared will end up there is P.J. Tucker, a guy who's already played with James Harden. Now, I think that, that the Rockets would probably want to trade him. I, I would be surprised if he actually ended up getting bought out. But if you got someone like that, he could fill in a lot of the, the defensive uh, responsibility you're looking for and still get legitimate minutes at you know maybe as a, as a starter there. So the Nets have actual minutes to offer, especially to any kind of front court player, and a lot of other teams can't promise that. And that's why when we talked about the teams and their likelihood to win all these things, the scary part is we all kind of acknowledge that there are at least threats to win the championship, and that's before they make any additional moves. Because while it's true that buyout guys tend to not make a huge difference, there is... Some track record of buyout guys making a difference. Just last year, Markeith Morris joining the Lakers ended up winning them multiple games and having a huge role in certain series, like, for instance, the Houston series. You know, he basically started for them in that series. And then you think about P.J. Brown back in the day, the Celtics got him as a buyout candidate, and he had a huge impact on that team in the playoff run. So, it, you know, these fringe guys can make a difference. It doesn't happen often, but it can happen. You know, for every Marky Boris, there's like a the Cavs signing a Darren Williams situation where it completely oh. backfires. <laughs> Your guy, Darren. NJ um. legend, Darren Williams, baby. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, I'm scared as a Knicks fan, man. I need everything to go. Someone, something needs to happen. That, you guys can't win this year. Because number one, your two star players, Durant and, and Kyrie, they bailed on the Knicks. <laughs> they, they bailed on the team that needed the most. And, and, and so I, I have to root against them. And number two, man, if we're really going to reward, like basketball guys, you're really going to reward James freaking Harden. This guy, you know, he sandbagged his way out of Houston and they end up exactly where he wanted to go onto this team, this, this mercenary team <laughs> on the net. <laughs> Come on, man. Listen, man, you, you don't go through thinking Marshawn Brooks is going to be your breakout all-star player <laughs> to not reap the benefits and just love every second of you saying, I don't want this mercenary team to win. <laughs> Fair enough, man. Fair enough. Would I, would, uh, would I have loved it 
if D'Lo and the boys could have made a run, of course. But you know, this the shine on this trophy don't change. As somebody who's never experienced a trophy of any sort, <laughs> well said. <laughs> hey man, I I'll get some Knicks love. I don't think this is a fluke. I I think they can hover around this five hundred mark, and at the very minimum, be a playing team. Dude, I like the is, coach that they've done. Yeah, hearing sympathy from a Nets fan when we're discussing their championship that's aspirations. That's not sympathy. That's pity. A... That's pity. <laughs> Nah, yeah, no, 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 no. I don't need your pity, bro. <laughs> they, they remind me of the the nineteen team a lot, a lot. Yeah, and, yeah, and no, you, that's fair. That, that's you, sort of our, that's sort of our, our our goal, right? To become that team that right and builds the a 19, culture. The nineteen team turned into this. Yeah, exactly, right. exactly. Right, and same with the Clippers team. You know, a couple of years ago, they also had this team that kind of just barely made the playoffs, but competed every night. Next thing you know. You got you know Kawhi Leonard and Paul George there, and the entire trajectory of your franchise changes. So that's what we're open for. But until then, I am going to root heavily against you guys. That's okay. It's nice to be the villains. You know what I mean. <laughs> All righty. Well, thank you so much, Paulo, for joining us, and thank you too, Eric, for joining us today. Hey, hey, hey. it's been a blast, man. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed today's episode. Please like, comment rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcast and check us out on social media at brown men won't jump if you want to get in touch with us and chat some basketball make sure to send us an email at brownmenwontjump at gmail.com have a great one and we'll see you in the next episode of brown men won't jump take care guys